0: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Episode 39 of Archaeology in Ale, a free monthly public archaeology talk brought to you by Archaeology in the City, the community outreach program from the University of Sheffield's Department of Archaeology. This month, our guest speaker is Yvette Marks from the University of Sheffield, speaking on experimental reconstruction of Roman bread. Due to the current COVID 19 restrictions, this talk is taking place online via Google Meets, so there may be some background noise or audio feedback in our recording.
1: About today is a a research project that we did as part of the experimental module um, for the third year undergraduates course and the master's course. Uh, Although I'm presenting it, it was a collaborative project and I'm just sharing it on on their behalf, really. um, I came up with the question and and they did the research and conducted the experiment. Um, Before I I, I go into Roman bread, um, I just wanted to thank everybody for their ongoing support over the last week um, with the the archaeology review and and the decisions that's been made. Um, I imagine you've all um, seen the social media um presence, the, the the news articles, and' have, have heard the the recent decision. Um, we'd just like to to ask you for the for continued support as well. Um, Chris is going to put some links in the chat for where you can find out how you can help and and what you can do. Um, and this this isn't over as far as we're we're concerned, and we'll we'll keep fighting it, and we hope archaeology archeolo- at Sheffield will continue. Um, so I just wanted to, to thank you all for your support um, before I start talking about Roman <laughs> bread. This experiment, as I said, was part of the experimental module. Um, we started the, the module at the start of the academic year in lockdown, teaching remotely. And I wanted something that would uh, engage the student, get people active, get people hands on. How can you do experimental archaeology and and not use your hands um, and not engage in a practical activity? So. I ended up coming up with the experiment of, of bread inspired by um, all the bread that had been baked during the lockdowns that we've had over the past year. I think um, lockdown bingo, most people have made a, a bed loaf in the past year. So um, as Roman Britain is, is a, a big part of my um, research and career, I worked at Doncaster Museum for four years and was a fort in, in Doncaster Um, It was something I was very passionate about and it was familiar to me. So um, in lockdown, the experiment started initially and we started to look at the loaves of bread which are preserved um, as carbonised at Pompeii and Herculaneum, as as you can see in the picture. So these loaves are quite interesting because they've got an unusual shape. They almost look a bit like a cake. (laughs) They've got almost like a slice through the middle and and portions. Slices as well. What we wanted to investigate first of all is how these loaves were were formed. So um, we experimented with different types of proving and kneading and shaping, um, and then also how I guess, deck of it is quite the word, but I don't know a better word for it. But how you get them lines and and that shape. So. Um, were the loaves cut in half and had been preserved um, after they were baked and cut in half? Was the line around the side something that was actually formed during their proving and baking um, and how could the lines on the top be formed? This was to help us investigate how you can recreate techniques from the past. So. Um, first of all, how we can theorise what techniques may be and how our personal experiences can inform that. And I'll talk a little bit about our theories and predictions and how some of that was based on our own experience of of making bread. Um, But then also, how can we accurately recreate a method from the past and can we accurately recreate a method from the past? So we looked at these carbonised loaves and we also looked at other evidence as well, including... uh, Images. So there's um, frescoes like this one here, where you can see um, artistic representations of the loaves, which are quite similar. Um, so you still have the portioned uh, marks on the top. You can kind of see the line around the side. Um, and the students went off and did their own research as well. So they found many more images um, of these in, in frescoes and mosaics as well. And it's it's always represented to have this shape, to have the portion lines on the top and the line around the side. We also wanted to make sure that um, we were authentic or, or as authentic as we could and we could do a whole um, another talk on authenticity and experimental archaeology, but um not not today unfortunately. We wanted to make sure we, we when we were replicating the bread that the the bread would have similar properties. So the same um, grains were used and the same flour was used and, and different yeasts were used. So so if we created a line, we can say that, that line would be would have being created in the same way on the bread from the past because there's different yeasts make um, loaves rise in different amounts in different ways and different flowers can cause different textures of the bread as well and all them things can have an impact on the shape of the bread. I went to a colleague of mine who's an archaeobotanist and asked um, what grains were, were, were grown in Roman Britain um, and she came back to me and said, Sell. so there was a, a whole article she referred me to and we, we all researched into and Spelt was born um in Roman Britain. And one of the the benefits Britain had to the the Roman Empire was our land, was our farms. And spelt would have been a huge resource that would have helped to feed the empire and the armies. So luckily for us, um and to show you what spelt looks like. <laughs> luckily for us, there's actually a company called Dove's Farm who have reintroduced spelt back into UK soils. Um and they um pride themselves on on doing so. So that was really helpful for <laughs> our experiment. It meant we could go to the supermarket or go online and get um, a bag of spelt flour, which, um, as I said, would have been the type of, of of flour they would have grown spelt and ground it and, and used that. So that was really helpful. We then had to look into how we would make the bread. Um, most of us aren't bakers, hadn't baked much, much bread. We wanted to, as, as I said, try to be authentic, so... Um, Yeast was a huge thing we discussed in in depth in in the classes. Um, Some of us had to use packet yeast because we didn't have um, the skills or the ability or the resources to do um, live yeast. Um, But some people did use um, a yeast starter, so a live yeast. We did look into different experiments. So we're not the first people um, to to recreate Roman bread. Um, There's a YouTube channel, that you can see here. where he he has a go, um, and it's a really interesting watch and, um, I can share the link online or we can, when we share the PowerPoint, we can share the link as well. And even the British Museum have, have had a go too. So as I said, we're definitely not the first people to do this, but I think we're going more in depth and looking at different methods and techniques and trying to investigate it more. So we, we researched all these different examples and looked and learned from what they did. And we, we created predictions, we theorised on, on how we thought it may have been made. Um, I also got uh, my parents to go off and try the experiment before we did it in class. Um, and that was really helpful because we discovered that the, the recipe I was sharing, if you followed the recipe, it was far too liquid, you needed to reduce the quantities. So lots and lots of people have fed into this experiment. This was my first attempt, um, and I tried to mimic the methods used in the YouTube video. I'm going to go through now some of the different methods we theorized and tried, um, and then I'll talk about the results. So we we looked at different tools and what tools would be available. So things like string, um, knives, wooden spatulas, um, maybe sticks, stones, flint. Um, and initially, we were all thinking that the, the shapes on the top would have been cut or pressed into bread with one method or another. Now, the line on the outside was more interesting because when we were making the mixture, first of all, as I said, it was very liquid and, and very sloppy. And it was hard to keep it in a ball shape. So I, I assumed that the, the method of using the string um, was to hold the dough together keep it in a ball and then that created the line and um, almost me being a bad example <laughs> for, for an experiment. Once I got that idea in my head, I really wanted to stick with it. Um, but I'll come back to that in, in a minute. So we had about 18 students across the two modules and everybody went off and tried different methods of forming and shaping. And then we compiled the results and then. We then use them results to to pick which we thought was the more realistic method. So now I'm just going to take you through some of the photographs and and methods that we tried. Um, So the first one um, was string and string. So string was to shape the the door into that dome shape, to hold it together and to create that line around the outside. And then also the lines on the top were formed by getting a piece of string, holding it tight and pulling it um, almost like a, a cheese wire into the door to make them indentations. you can see this one does look um, quite quite similar to the examples we've seen and um, the lines are defined. Um, so this one um, we're really happy with. This one is freeform and then carved with a knife. So this one the door was um, turned into shape just by hand moulding, just by kneading and then forming into a, a dome and then all the lines carved with a knife. So you can see this this one isn't as tall, it hasn't risen as much, but again, that could be due to um, the yeast used, but the lines aren't as defined. This one was freeform and cut with scissors. So again, different types of, of, of a blade. Um, the line around the outside has disappeared completely and the um, impressions on the top are not very severe. So this one wasn't as, as close as what we wanted. This one was, was based on a trial and error and, and adapting the experiment as we went along. So this one, um, the lines were put in um, with a knife 10 minutes after the bread went into the oven, so not straight away. One of the things that we found in experimentation is when you put the lines in um, and then you bake it, as it rises, it can almost like reclose the, the lines. It can uh, make it bloat and, and, and cover the indentations you've done. So this one, you can see the string on the left-hand side has created that indentation. The lines on the top, they're quite severe. So they're they're not the kind of curved shapes we see um, in in the image. So maybe that's not not as correct as we wanted either. So this one was a mixture of multiple methods, um, so a mixture of cutting and indentations. But this one, as you can see, it's split, so it's it's proved so much whilst um, it's cooked. It's, it's caused them them cuts to split. And we get this often in modern loaves, so if you score lines onto the top as it as it rises in the oven, it can open up and um, and have that effect. So that's interesting as well. This one um, was form string and a sharp knife. And again, as you can see, that the, the pattern that seems to be reoccurring with the knives is it's a very harsh um, mark on the top, which doesn't seem to follow um, what we see in, in in the representations. This is another one, and um, this is an example where when it's um, when it's grown in the oven, it's actually closed the the cuts up, so it's um, closed them definition up. Um, so this one was free form in a sharp knife, and again you can see the lines have have disappeared. This was shaped with string and a sharp knife. So this is is getting getting closer, and then we've got free form in a wooden spatula. So the wooden spatula. Really didn't create a lasting effect. Um, it really did disappear um, once it was baked. And then this one was string and a knife. So again, you can see the, the lines have have disappeared. Now I don't know if you remember me saying a, a few minutes ago that um, I was I was adamant string <laughs> string was used around the outside, and and some some sort of non-cutting device to ship top um and then a, a student of uh, in the course went off and, and spoke to a baker um in spain and said you know i'm researching this bread this is this is what it looks like this is what i'm thinking and um the baker came back and said that he would if he was to make that that bread he would use two balls of dough one on top of the other um and um, the student um trialled it and, and this is what they got and um, you can see that <laughs> the line on the outside I mean, looks, looks very realistic it looks similar to the evidence we have um, and then they did um, cut with a knife on the top now around the same time um, when I, I mentioned this to, to people because everybody's probably heard about this experiment over the past few months I heard of something called a country loaf, um, which I'd I'd never heard of. Um, so some colleagues of mine and my parents, um, came to me with with this, a country loaf, so a country loaf is two balls of dough, one placed on top of another, um, and then uh, a piece of wood or something put through the middle to hold them in place. And then all of a sudden, um, I changed my theory and I changed my conclusions and this made so much sense. Um, so. I was adamant for two, three weeks that I believed the method for shaping the door was was the string because the door was sloppy and it was going to fall over, it made the line. And that was based on what I'd seen and my experience. And, you know, meat comes with string around it to hold it in place. To me, it, it felt like it fit. And then as soon as I was shown something from um, a different culture, a different scenario, um, somebody else's skills and experience and profession, it made sense. And I I don't think I've ever been so shocked at my my conclusion changing. Um, and I think that this is a really good example to show when we're creating reconstructions and we're interpreting that it's really important not to have a bias based on your experience and to try and seek examples from modern um, crafts, modern technologies, ethnographies and, and other things as well. So in the in the module we all came together and we discussed the results of these experiments. And I think we, we mostly agreed that the the layering, the line around the side, was formed by two balls of dough being placed one on top of the other another. But rather than with the country loaf one being smaller than the other, they were they were closer in size. And then we decided that the um the lines on the top were formed um not by slicing but by putting something in so it could be a knife but rather than slicing you're pushing the door down and it needed to go two-thirds third of the way down into the bread um, in order for that um, that shape to keep after it had baked. So luckily around this time, um, Things started to get better with the pandemic. We were allowed to start teaching again and allowed to start teaching, well, in person again, we kept still being teaching, um, and allowed to to start teaching outside. So that meant we could start to plan an experiment to to take place in the field. So then we developed um, the next stage of the experiment, which was the bread ovens. So as I've mentioned already, I I worked at Doncaster Museum for four years and um, I always try to, yeah, real archaeological evidence that we can use um, in our modules for these experiments. So we're creating real research and we're c- conducting new um, new experiments and new data. So because we'd be looking at the bread, we obviously wanted to have a go at baking our bread more authentically than in our ovens at home. So I contacted Paul Buckland, who used to work um, at the museum and the university and he worked at the museum um, in the 70s and 80s when lots of rescue excavations were taking place Um, when the um, the the ring road was being built around the area where the the roman fort used to be so if you've ever been to Doncaster um, there's the St George's church and actually a small um, part of the roman fort wall still survives in the church grounds in the garden Um, And the fort went from St. George's Church across where Primark is today. So actually Primark's in in the area where the entranceway to the fort is. So if you do go into Primark in Doncaster, you're walking in the same steps as Roman soldiers were around 2,000 years ago. So when they were doing these rescue excavations, and it was a rescue excavation, it wasn't how it is now where a survey and excavation is done before something's built. This was... As the roads were being built, the museum's archaeologists would rush out and try and and record and rescue as much um, archaeology as they could. Um, There was two um, ovens found. So this is the first one, and this is the one that we we decided to look at and reconstruct. So you can see um, there is a one, two, three, three layers of clay, which forms the base of the oven and it curves up at the sides. Um, and these have stones placed around them to support them, so this shows multiple use, so these ovens were used in the same spot over and over, and to the point where when the oven didn't work, a new one was built and we had dimensions um but that that's all we had <laughs> for this oven we had um the fact that it was an oven um the fact that it was associated with the Roman fort, and we had some dimensions. There was also another example um. Which was built into the ramparts of the fort, and we find this um, in a number of sites across the UK associated with Roman forts, where they've used the the incline of of the fort um, to to build their oven into, which makes it easier and will um, help the heat the retention of the oven. So, um, because I am the health and safety officer for the department as well, I thought it would be much safer and easier not to try and build an oven into a hill. So, we did go with, with the first um, oven, this one. So, we looked at other examples of, of ovens, but we also looked at other examples of pyrotechnology technology um, constructions in the area. So, we looked at the pottery kilns at, at Rosenton, Cantley, and Rosenton Bridge Pumping Station as well, because... The way they build their kilns would be similar to how they'd build their ovens. Um, although the kiln is a much larger pyrotechnical um, technology, it's still a clear structure built to obtain heat. So um, we were able um, I was able to borrow some uh, material from the museum from some of the kilns at Rosenton Bridge, Rosenton Bridge Pumping Station um, to look at the fabric. And the fabric is a um, clay that has ha- had um, dried organics such as straw or chaff added to it, and um, quartz or so, um, like sand or crushed up stone. And these are all things to to help the structure. So the organics um, burn out as you you fire the the kiln or the oven and allows it to expand in contrast. So it creates little voids, which means if the ceramic wall cracks, once it hits a void, the energy of the crack disperses, and hopefully it will stop it from falling apart. And the silicon quartz um, allows the clay to identify making it a stronger material. So we we assumed, although you've got to be careful with assuming, that a similar material would have been used for the ovens as well. And, you know, we know they were growing lots of, Organics nearby, so there was plenty of dried organic waste to use, and um, there was plenty um, of sand from the River Don, which was nearby. So you get the 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 river sand. So it's not um, too far of a stretch to believe that. So once we had an idea of the material the clay would be made out of, we had to look at other ovens in in the UK, so in Roman Britain from other contexts, because as 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 I said, we had very little evidence really from the site we were looking at. So. We looked at some um, from abroad as well and from other countries, um, and we looked at some um, from Britain. And I I don't have time to go into loads of detail, but if you are interested, I'm happy to share these papers with you. But what what came from these papers in summary is that in in Roman Britain, there's two types of bread oven. There's a larger stone-built oven associated with some of the bigger forts, such as those on Hadrian's Wall, where there'd be a stone platform or base, um a dome and then they'd have a an archway flute at the front and then there was the more simpler oven which seemed to be associated with either the household or smaller forts which was a clay dome um which is more like the one we got at Doncaster so you can see you can see from the picture it wasn't a substantial stone structure there was a couple of stones around it supporting it but it was a clay floor and presumably a clay dome that doesn't survive so um, because many of, of, of the people in the group had never um, worked with clay in such a way before or conducted an experiment in this way, we looked at other examples. So we wanted to make sure we, we had evidence and ideas to base our reconstruction off. So we had a look at some examples of other clay ovens that had been built. So this was a really good blog um, and I've in the, I know um, Chris is going to share the the PDF of the podcast. I've put links to um, all the places that that this information comes from, if you are interested to to look into it. So this example um, is from early works. Um, It's a blog and you can see that they have put a stone to create the base, but then it is a clay formed oven. Um, You can see um, on the next picture, that they helped form the oven by using sand. So once they got the um, initial clay um, for the wall formed, they filled the internal space with sand and that's what they used to help form their clay structure. So I don't know if any of you have had a go at coil building pots um, or even pinch potting, clay has a tendency to want to sag or droop or, or fall in on itself so having that sand just make sure that when you're creating the dome shape it has something to rest on and then as you can see in the next pictures um the principle the idea is that once the clay um, once the, the clay is dry to a lever hard once it's partially dry you can then dig out the sand and the clay will hold its shape enough for you to fire it just some more photos of, of this example. You can see on the picture on the left, they've they've dug out the sand at that point and they're firing it and they used a wooden door. Um, the other main example, um, examples we used came from, from Graham Taylor. So um, Graham Taylor is a, a, a potter that Um, You should all look up on Facebook. He's absolutely amazing. Um, He creates um, replica pottery, um, predominantly Roman. He's done some pots for me when I worked at the museum, Anglo-Saxon and Viking. He also does experimental archaeology as well. Um, So he's done um, clay um, pottery kilns. And then he got asked by... um, a museum to do a, a bread oven, and because he'd done pottery kilns, he felt that he could turn his skill to a bread oven. So you can see um, he's even recreated uh, similar lofts that we're looking at, and he's done a, a clay oven too, which is um, bigger than the last one, but but mostly clay. He used a different technique to form um, his oven, and this was um, a willow frame. So um, you can see on the picture here, it's got um has got a lot of clay on at this point. But the rather than putting sand on the inside and putting the clay over the sand and, and that keeping it in place, this has had a, a willow frame um weaved and then the clay has been put over that. So um we went and looked into whether we thought this would be realistic for Roman Britain. Um and we, we believed as a group that both methods were plausible. There would be um organic material similar to willow available that could have been used to create the structure and there would have been sand available and we know sand was used in the in the clay material too. And this is just what it, it looked like during the process too. So that takes us to, to our experiment. So we had to decide on what variables we were going to test, what our aims and objectives were and it's so easy to try and look at too much. We didn't want to take on too many things. So we decided to recreate the dimensions of the oven from that first photo I showed you from Doncaster and produce it fully from clay, um, as, as the archaeological evidence suggests. And then we, the first variable we wanted to test was which method um, was more successful for producing uh, an oven. So was it the sand forming or was it the will frame? We then wanted to also test, um, some experiential sides of the experiments. That means what it, what it felt like. So how hard is it to build the clay and um, to work the clay and build the oven? How long would it last? How, how, how much manpower or woman power, people power would go into building it? How many bread loaves could you, could you bake? Would it fill, feed an army? Would it feed a person? All these different things. Um, and also we want to look at the working parameters of the oven, as I said. So how long did it take to heat up? Was it big enough to cook a loaf? Could you cook multiple loaves in succession or was it just a one loaf oven? Um, and we looked into how to cook in, in a clay oven too. So we researched um, oven ovens and pizza ovens too. And we, we looked at whether you heat the oven up as you would a, a pizza oven. So you put um, dried wood into the oven set it on fire, heat it up for an hour or two, and then take the wood out, take the fire out of the oven completely and just cook with the residual heat. Um, And often that's how pizza ovens are used and that's how um, bread ovens are used. Or now with more larger pizza ovens, often the wood is pushed to the side um, and some things are cooked while it, it cools down and then once it's at the correct temperature um bread is cooked. Another thing is you can probably see from this picture is the ovens are not much larger than the bread loaves. So actually leaving wood on fire in the ovens um could be problematic. So um we we split our group into two teams. Um, I I'm sure our, our team names were Sand Team and Willow Willow Team. Maybe we had more um inventive names originally but I couldn't remember them so this is what we reverted to. Um, So we had two different teams, um, and this also helped with social distancing. So um, we did keep two metres, we wore masks, um, even though outside. And if people are closer than two metres, it was for a short period of time when um, the practical um, had to to happen, but it wasn't prolonged. Our people were in household bubbles. We did have a number of students who lived together, so they were able to work more closely together. I'm just going to talk you through the, the making of these two, two ovens. Um, so first of all, the, the sand forming. You can see here, we did similar to the example we looked at, where we um, created the, the the bottom of the clay wall and then we added sand into a dome. And this is wet sand, a bit like building a sandcastle. We then put a layer of wet newspaper um, between the sand and the clay. Um, and I'm sure there would have been some sort of form of wet organic material placed um, on the Roman one. Well, maybe it's not um, the cheap newspaper I picked up on the way to the experiment, but there would have been something um, to enable that divide to easily get the clay um, out from the oven. And and the oven was left um, with the sand in for two days, um, no, three days, sorry. And then the sand was was taken out. I'm just going to show you. I've got a little time-lapse video um, of the forming of oh, of the willow oven. I don't want to. I don't want to have have one of the sand oven, unfortunately, because the camera failed. Um, so, um, so the sand oven, as I said, was left for three days. Then the sand was taken out, and then the fire, um, a, a wood fire, was lit. A low temperature wood fire was lit in the oven, slowly dry, and then bake the clay. You don't want to put a fire in that's too hot too quickly, because it will just cause the clay to Back and the oven to fail um, so the willow <laughs> team um, i do have a time lapse of, of this one being being made so this was um built in a similar way so the the clay was worked in the same way so the clay was um puddled which means um putting water on it and stamping it on it and um straw and sand added and other inclusions you don't want taken out Once it's malleable by stamping on it, you would then start to knead it by hand Um, and kneading it slightly different to your wood bread. You want to get the air out of clay in order um, to use it. And then it was formed. So it was formed similar to a coil building technique um, where bricks were made and then smoothed together. But with the willow frame, obviously they were placed over and around the willow frame. So as the willow frame oven was being made, um, we realized that in order to, to get the correct shape on the outside and inside, um, we needed to cover the willow with, with the clay. So I'm just going to show you, a, as I said, a time lapse of that now. Um, we did have one slight issue with with the willow frame, and that was my fault. I didn't realize the willow had to be soaked before being woven. Um, so it it was more difficult to weave the frame than it should have been. Um, but this, this was um, able to happen as they used softer parts and more bendable parts of the willow. Luckily we had some very large pieces that we could use, um, but it, it did make it more difficult for them. Um, so you can see there um, the frame and then the clay going around. The The team who did this has a very in detailed map of, of the willow um, where where they put the, the beams going across, which was really helpful. So um, the... Weather was probably the best week of weather we've had all year. (laughs) The only week we've had no rain and sunshine. Um, So when I went out with with a few of the students three days later, the clay was leather hard, um, so we weren't able to fire them. Um, The sand oven, we were able to dig out the clay and the sand all at once. Um, We didn't have to dig half out, let the clay dry more and leave it a bit longer. It was was (laughs) really good. It it dried. the willow frame one had a little bit of cracking, um, probably to do with the willow being inside the clay, um, but it still withheld its shape and was still stable and still worked. Um, one of the discussions we had um, is that a week of warm, sunny weather in Britain is, is not common, as we've all discovered this last month. Um, therefore, if, if we had have had usual British weather, would the sand... Um, oven, would that have worked as well? Like, would it have dried? Would we have got the sand out? Would it have, have slumped? So, um, that is something to think about. So I'm just going to quickly talk to you about, um, baking the bread in these ovens and then what we learned. So we used the methods from our first part of the experiment to make some loaves, to bake in these ovens. Um, so at this point we were, um, re-recreating, um, the earlier experiment, which all experiments should be repeatable. And more, the more you repeat it, the the more confident you are of your results and the better they are. Um, and then, as I said, we were trying to test a number of things. So how long did it take to to heat the oven? Once it was heated, how long could we cook in it for? How long did a loaf of bread take to cook? Um, did we have to heat it up in between? So firstly, I'm just going to show you, um, baking in the sand oven. Um, so you can see us preheating it and a loaf ready to go in. You can also see that um, the the ovens were decorated. <laughs> um, purely just that seems to happen every time we do an experiment and that can tell you probably a lot about um, human nature and, and what we do with experiments as a whole of a talk in, in that as well. Again, we used, um, I believe we used the same techniques for forming and shaping the bread for both ovens. Um, The ovens, the internal diameter was comparable. I know know the the external size looks different. It's just because of the method of making it. Um, And yeah, so we we tried to cook multiple loaves over the um, three-hour period of, of this experiment. You can see this loaf is a little bit carbonised on the outside and that's to do with the um, small interior of these ovens. As I said, um, it's hard to keep embers in the oven with, with the size of it. So these were the two best loaves that were made from each oven. Um, so you can see the willow one on the left and the sand um, one on the right. And you can see we've got that line round the outside. Um, we have the definition on the top and we have successful loaves of bread that were built in a replica oven, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I can almost hear you all cheering and clapping. Um, I know you've got to have your your mics on mute, but we were really, really pleased and excited over this. We did try to do multiple loaves. The first loaf for each, I think was the most successful, um, This is the next picture um, to remind me that we we did science, archaeology is science. Um, So we had um, temperature readers for each oven and we had a thermocouple, which is a temperature um, reader in each oven so we could see the temperature and record the temperature. And we've got very detailed um, data for that. And what we... What we discovered with this is that the first loaf worked best because you had that residual heat. So the, the ovens actually got up to about seven, 800 degrees with that wood fire. Um, and then when the fire was taken out, the temperature obviously reduces. So the first loaf cooked quite successfully. And then we did try to cook the second loaf without reheating the oven. And I think both teams found that this was not successful, that the temperature was too low, it was taking too long. We then reheated the ovens up and managed to get a third loaf out. but these ovens um, because of the size, can only get one loaf from the residual heat, and they 're not really big enough to keep the embers in at the side so our initial thoughts were well could this could this be a, an oven for a Roman army you know why Why would it only cook one loaf? Why is it not bigger? We thought a lot about calorie intake, rations, food, what were people eating. You're not eating a full loaf of bread for your meal. You're going to have something with it. You're going to have, you know, the soup, the the stew, the gruel. This is something, you know, you you dip your bread in your soup. So perhaps each person was given a portion, you know, it's pre-portioned up for you. Each person was given a portion of the bread to have with their meal. Um, There could have been more than one oven. um, And uh, some of the students did lots of research into soldiers' jobs and roles and, and there was would have been one soldier whose responsibility it was to to cook certain aspects of the meal. So there's there's lots more work to be done here to understand how these ovens were used um at the fort at Doncaster, but it's not unplausible to think that the oven was fired up once a day and in it a loaf of bed was put. So um what did we learn? (laughs) There's no point doing an experiment without um, learning things. So we learned the possible methods for shaping the bread. So as I said, the first experiment looked at um, which methods we felt felt were more authentic or could have been used to shape the bread. Um, We tested two different methods for forming the ovens. Now both methods worked. The willow method did produce more cracks, but we did patch them and once patched, they didn't crack again and the oven withstood a firing and then a second firing where we cooked in it for for over three hours. Um, So that was a plausible method. As I said, I think the sand method might not have been as successful if the weather was worse, but they're both realistic methods that could have happened or uh, could have took place in, in Roman Britain. Um, we learned that realistically one loaf of bread can be cooked in an oven per heating, so per preheating. Um, but you could reheat the oven up afterwards and keep going. It depends if you're just cooking one loaf for that day or if you're cooking, you know, you're not going to be able to have a very successful bakery business if that's a, your only oven and all you're only selling is bread, but that doesn't seem to be the purpose of these ovens it seems to be to substitute a, a diet that contains, contains other food. Um, we believe that they were, they were used by the soldiers, but as I said, there would be one soldier cooking in them for his his group. I'm sorry, I don't know the better term for a group of soldiers in a moment. Um, and then multiple use. So uh, as I said, we did fire the oven to preheat it, and then we fired the oven um, for three hours. We also... Um, they're still, they're still there. One of them's fully intact still, and um, the other one has now been repurposed for a for, uh, um, distilling experiment. But they've survived this weather, they've been reheated in, we've got um, PGR students doing um, experiments for their um, theses out there and they've been cooking their breakfast and lunching them, so they're still working. <laughs> Um, so they are multiple use. Um, a lot of a lot of people often theorize that ceramic constructions like um, smelting furnaces, halves, ovens, kilns are one use. And something experiential that we learn from these experiments is it takes a long time to properly work and prepare clay and build a ceramic structure like this. Why would you rebuild it if you can keep it? Um, You've you got to go and buy an oven every day or every week to cook your food. If something will last, then you will build it to last. You'll put more time and effort into how something um, that remains. So as I said, we, we left the ovens um, and three weeks later, um, this is what they look like. So this was the willow oven. Um, so you can see it looks a little bit wetter um, and you can see how wet the ground is around it. But it's still completely intact. And then the lines you can see are just superficial cracks on the surface and where we've been packed in there, not substantial cracks that go through the, through the oven. Um, it, you know, it's, it's been unprotected out in Sheffield, um, and rained on heavily. And this is, this was after the huge thunder and lightning storm we had with hail and everything. And it's, it's still there and it still works. It still heats up. And this is the sand one as well. So again, it looks a little bit wet, but, It's still intact and it still works. Um, So I really don't think these are one use. I think they're multiple use. Um, Yeah, so um, I hope, and it's been a very quick um, journey through the experiment, um, but I hope you've understood um, what we tested and what we learned. um, And also just the amazing things we can do Um, in our modules here in the department you know this is real research being led by the students they they did the research they took it they designed it um, and we've learned so much from it so if any of the students are here listening thank you so much for your passion and your hard work and um, i hope you've all enjoyed
0: thank you for listening to archaeology and ale For more information about our podcast and our guest speaker, please visit our page on the Archaeology Podcast Network or visit the show notes attached to this episode. You can get in touch with us at Archaeology in the City on Facebook, WordPress, Instagram, or Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. See you next time.